0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at org. You may remember, I've told the story before, that I saw the original Star Wars movie in the theater when it first came out and uh, snuck into the theater before the the last showing was finished so the first thing i knew about the story was that the death star is destroyed and uh it kind of ruins some of the suspense when you already know how the story is going to end i feel a little bit like i'm doing the same thing now looking at the final verses of romans chapter 11 like we're looking at the end this glorious ending And we're not reviewing everything that we had to go through in order to get there. What happens in in these verses from verse 33 all the way to verse 36, this is uh, the culmination, this is the payoff of the last three chapters of doctrine. In fact, more than that, of of the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, we're reaching the end of the, the, the abstract doctrine, the systematic theology portion Of this letter and going on, starting in chapter 12, to what you might think of as more practical concerns of how to live. So, a lot has happened to get us to this place. And without going back and rereading it all, you almost can't capture the glory of these words, this celebration. But try, recollect the ground that we've covered and put yourself in that place where we have looked at great mysteries and profound truths. the way that God works. And then we find ourselves beginning here with verse 33, where Paul writes these words, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen when you're in a good relationship but you have friends people you care about who aren't and they're looking for a relationship but they just haven't found it one of the things you're you're doing is you're rooting for them You're hoping they'll meet someone. You're you're waiting for the day when, when that status update will indicate that your friend, who's not been in a relationship for a long time, is now in a relationship. And then you're happy for them because it's what they wanted for themselves. It's what you wanted for them. Your friend says, I'm in a relationship, and it's time to celebrate. But imagine this. You think of one of your friends who's longing to be in a relationship and isn't yet. You think about that person, imagine their joy in saying, I'm in a relationship, you're happy for them, but then they start talking and telling you about this relationship. I don't always understand what he does, they say, but that's okay because he says, uh, I'm in no position to judge his actions. And you think, well, that's a red flag. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. He doesn't always give me what I want. But he says that's fine because he doesn't owe me anything. You think, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's not usually how we talk about relationships. In fact, I'm not sure you're in a relationship because this doesn't sound like much of a relationship. You want your friend to be in a relationship, but more than that, you want your friend to be in a good relationship. And Being in a relationship with someone who doesn't pay attention to what you think, who who believes that his actions are, are above scrutiny, who thinks, I owe you nothing, I have no obligation to you, that just doesn't sound like a good relationship. There's a reason for that. Because in human relationships, whether you think about it this way or not, in human relationships, things like judgment and obligation are important. We measure whether or not a relationship is good, in part, based on the presence of those things. If you can scrutinize the decisions, of the other person. If, if what you think matters and influences and can change the way that they act, then you feel like you're part of a relationship. But it works that way in uh, communities as well. There may be uh, disparities, inequalities in a community, but if it matters what you think If people who are better off than you still have to take into account your interests, then it feels like we're in a community together. It feels like I matter to the group. If there are obligations to you, and those obligations have to be kept, they're non-negotiable. If you're owed something by virtue of the fact that, that you are who you are, if you've made a contribution and there has to be some kind of account of that, some. Recompense for what you've contributed, then it feels like you're part of a relationship or a community. If you've contributed less than others, but what you've contributed still matters to the whole, you feel like you're in a community. But if you don't have the right to judge, if there are no obligations to you that ever need to be kept, then understandably you start feeling like this isn't really a relationship. This isn't really a community. If people just do whatever they want to do and I have no say, whether it hurts me or not, if it doesn't matter what I think about it, that doesn't feel like a relationship or a community at all. In a marriage, if there's no judgment, if there's no obligation, it ends in divorce. In a society, if there's no judgment, if there's no obligation, it leads to revolt. Again, we don't usually think about relationships this way, but these are characteristics of human relations that are important to us, that matter to us. When you think about the way that you relate to God, because you're a human being, it's only natural that the way that we relate to God is in the human way. We relate to God often as if he were just a sort of big, magnificent, Powerful human, like the greatest of all the humans, a really large, prodigiously bearded man in the sky. Very different from us, but basically one of us only times a million. That's the way we relate to God. It's not surprising. We're human beings. We relate to everything the way that human beings relate to them, but that can be misleading. Relating to God as if he's just a really exalted kind of human being can be misleading. And so if we want to relate to God well, we have to constantly be reminded that God is not one of us. God is not one of us. We are made in his image, and that means something. But at the end of the day, between the creator and the creature, there is a difference. That difference matters if we want to relate to him well. In the simplest terms, when it comes to God, what Paul is reminding us is, We're in no position to judge. God doesn't owe us anything. And yet, God still gives us everything. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Paul is saying here that God's riches, his resources, his wealth, his wisdom, his knowledge, All of these are profound. They're unfathomable. You can't get to the bottom of these things. Everything that we've studied up to now in the book of Romans is leading up to this expression of God's incomprehensibility, his vast, unknowable greatness. But the thing you have to recognize here is, as Paul speaks about the limitless depths of God the mode of discourse here, this is celebration. He is celebrating that distance. He's celebrating that difference. Right? Paul is not speaking here like, I'm going to tell you something really hard about God, something really difficult, and you're going to struggle with it. But here it is. That's not the way he's speaking these words. He's speaking these words as cause to cheer, as cause to celebrate, throw a party over these things. This isn't something difficult about God that Paul is telling us. It's something wonderful, something that should be celebrated in doxology and praise. You've heard me use that phrase before that's very appropriate to Paul's writings, that this is theology that leads us to doxology. Constantly you see Paul doing this. He, he theologizes, he gives you the doctrine, but then he just can't help himself. He also has to give you the praise, the worship, the celebration. Of what he's talking about. We saw this for the last time, or the most recent time, at the end of uh, Romans 8. The end of Romans 8, when we got to that, we got this kind of ecstatic utterance. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So there, there was a sense of, of the distance, but also that God fills it and that we're connected to Him inseparably. And now, in a sense, we've returned to that idea of the distance, but in order to contemplate what it means that God is so great. What a wonderful thing. Paul praises God for his deep transcendence, the way that he's different from human beings, the way that he's not one of us. That's important. Paul says his judgments are unsearchable. His judgments are unsearchable. When God does something, when he decrees something, we don't have the ability to scrutinize it we don't have the ability to 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 over to to look over god's shoulder and review his decisions oftentimes we assume that our relationship to god to scripture is similar to the relationship of like the ninth circuit court to the supreme court imagine god is the ninth circuit court and he issues judgments and those judgments need to be taken seriously Especially once we've reviewed them and are in agreement with them. But sometimes God says things in Scripture or does things in the world that we don't understand or we're not okay with, and in those, sometimes we have to set that stuff aside. You put it that way, it seems absurd, but we act as if we have a kind of right of review over what God does, what He says, and who He is. Paul's saying, no, not at all. His judgments are unsearchable. You're not able to scrutinize him that way, you're not capable of it as a human being. You cannot possibly review his decisions. His ways were inscrutable, Paul says. There's another way of saying the same thing, but to be inscrutable means to be not scrutable. In other words, not subject to scrutiny. When we have questions about something, doubts, we scrutinize. Your husband gets home late, and your bank account has been diminished considerably, and he has a new thing, whatever thing it is that he's always accumulating in the background, and those things add up, and you want to scrutinize that situation. You want to find out what's going on there. Like, wait a second, wait a second. We 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 already had all the books we needed. We already had all the shotguns we needed. We already had all the trucks we needed, or whatever it is, and suddenly there's another one I'm going to scrutinize that if your husband says, well, my ways are inscrutable, there's going to be trouble. But God is saying something similar. Paul's reminding us that when it comes to the relationship with God, God is inscrutable. Like We aren't capable of understanding. We aren't capable of rendering judgment. He is above human scrutiny. And Paul thinks this is good. He's not Putting it out there as something that's problematic. He's not apologetic. He's not saying, look, God does some stuff that raises some real issues, and I can't explain it. He's saying, I can't explain it, but God's wonderful, and I wouldn't have it any other way. That's a very different attitude towards these things than we often have. When we approach these questions, we often approach them as, as difficulties. We need to do some apologetics around this stuff. That's not what Paul's doing. Paul's celebrating the inscrutability of God, the unsearchability of his judgments. It's good that God is so high above us. It's good that God's ways are so far beyond our ways. And to drive this point home, he does what he often does. He turns to the Old Testament. It gives us some Old Testament wisdom. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? If you look in your Bibles at Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 13, Isaiah says, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? As you hear all those questions, if, if it's building suspense and you're thinking, who, who, tell me, Isaiah, who did this? You're missing the point. Isaiah is asking rhetorical questions. The answer is obviously no one. God didn't learn wisdom from anybody. God is wisdom. God is so much higher that he says no one has known the mind of the Lord. No one gets him. No one understands him. No one knows where he's coming from. No one can give him advice. None of us can go up to God and say, look, I see what you're trying to do here. but There is a better way. Let me explain. That never happens in your relationship with God. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Again, now look back at Job chapter 35. Job chapter 35 and uh, around verse 7. No, no, verse 6. So this is Elihu speaking. He's the young man who comes at the end of the book. He's been there the whole time, but he's never been mentioned. And he's let all of Job's friends and Job speak their wisdom. But when he realizes they're all wrong, he finally can't shut up. He's got to say something. And he rebukes everybody, Job, Job's friends, everybody. And he doesn't get rebuked. Elihu is speaking words of truth. Here's what he says. In verse, uh, this is chapter 35, verse 6. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? In other words, what harm have you managed to achieve to God? Have you hurt God? If your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hands? He's not minimizing the, the badness of sin. Or the desirability of righteousness. He's just pointing out that you're not somehow getting at God through your sin, and you're not doing him a favor through your righteousness. No one has given God a gift. No one has put God under an obligation. God doesn't owe anyone anything. None of us have done God a favor in any way. God doesn't owe us anything. He's so much higher than us. No one understands his thoughts. We cannot understand the mind of God. We can only understand what he reveals to us. We cannot offer him advice on how better to accomplish his plan than what he's done himself. We cannot give him anything that is not already his. And we make this point every week when we pray to dedicate our tithes and offerings. When we give our offerings to God, and we don't expect him to thank us, we're not doing him a favor, we're not helping him out, we're not making all the difference between the success or failure of his ministry, we understand that what we're doing is we're giving back to him what is already his, that all that we have comes from him. This is the same idea. God has never been in debt to anyone or under obligation to anyone. If we're going to have a relationship with God, we've got to know those things. We've got to remember those things because a relationship with God involves uh, eminence but also transcendence. Eminence is like nearness, closeness. Transcendence is distance. God is so high above us. God cannot be scrutinized. He doesn't owe us anything then as human beings, it's only natural to ask the question, how can we have a relationship with him? If judgment and if obligation are so important to human relationships and those things don't exist in our relationship with God, how can we have a relationship with him? And the answer a lot of people give to that question is you can't. God is so much higher. He is incomprehensible. You can never understand God's ways. There's no way in the world that you could have a personal relationship with, with the God of all things, that's like having a, a personal relationship with like nature, gravity, electricity, something like that, like it's a force beyond your comprehension, that sort of thing. People who think like that, think that people who think they have a relationship with God are fooling themselves. But that's not the way Scripture answers the question. Can we have a relationship with God? Scripture says yes, we can have a relationship with God. But a relationship with God works differently than a human relationship. There are similarities, but there are differences too. We tend to emphasize the similarities and lose sight of the differences. But when Paul says, oh, the depth. Oh, the depth of his riches, of his wisdom, of his knowledge. In those words, oh, the depth. He's expressing that idea of the difference. Having a relationship with God is different than any other kind of relationship because of these deep things that Paul is saying to us. But don't be frightened of those differences. Because again, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. That this is a different kind of relationship. It's the precise thing that rescues us from simply making a God in our own image, which is what people tend to do. This is what human beings are constantly doing. We're worshiping God, but the God we worship is a lot like ourselves. We want to do the will of God, and it turns out the will of God is that we do what we want to do, that God wants for us what we want for us. Only he wants it so much more. Whatever our dreams are, those are God's dreams for us, and nothing that we want or desire could possibly be wrong. That's what we tell ourselves. But when you believe that, the God you're worshiping is not the God of Scripture. He is a God of your own manufacture. He is what the Bible would call an idol. That kind of a God is a God we can judge. The gods we make for ourselves, we can judge, we can scrutinize. The gods we make for ourselves, they owe us things. And we can do stuff to put them under obligation so that they have to pay us back. And that's the whole history of human religion. But if you start to realize what it means to say that God is inscrutable, that his ways are unsearchable, then there's a profound beauty, a profound meaning, and yes, a comfort and having a relationship with such a God. They said a relationship with God, it has a, a uh, an eminence, but also a transcendence. A personal relationship with God has an imminent component, but also a transcendent component. Without the eminent, without the human, without the closeness, it wouldn't be a relationship. And so when we... Think of Jesus as our friend, as our companion, as our brother. And we relate to him the way that we would to a friend, to a companion, to a brother. That's part of that imminent aspect of the relationship. And it's it's true. It's right. And these are ways Scripture speaks of, of our relationship to God. But there's something else as well. In addition to that imminent, close, personal human aspect of the relationship, there's also this transcendent aspect of the relationship. Now, without the eminent, it's not a relationship, but without the transcendent, it's not a relationship with God. Without a sense of the unsearchable, of the inscrutable, it isn't God that we're in relationship with. If we don't see that his ways are above our ways, incomprehensible to us, and that that is wonderful, then the relationship that we're building is not a relationship with the true God. So you need, on the one hand, Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my brother, my companion, my fellow heir. But on the other, God's ways are unsearchable and inscrutable and so high above me. Both of those things together are part of this relationship that we have. And a deep relationship with God is unfolding to us over time how it is that we can be from him and through him and to him. Paul says God gives us everything. He can do that because everything is his to give. Paul says all things are from him. God is the creator of all things. He's the giver of life and also the giver of meaning. He tells us what the world is. He understands us. He counsels us. He gives gifts to us, and we are obliged and indebted to him. Right? All of the things we want to imagine he owes to us, it's really the other way around. These are the things that we owe to him. All things are from him, and all things are through him. Christ specifically in the New Testament is the one through whom all things are made and sustained. Have their integrity, have their being. All things come to pass through him It's according to his plan, his will. All things are to him. Their purpose is oriented towards him. Their telos, their goal is towards him. All things were made to give glory to God. All things are called to worship him. All things belong to him in that sense as well. Christ is God with us. In Christ, God is giving us all things. All things. And being in a relationship with God is in that sense revealing to us all things. It's showing us more and more this reality. The relationship reveals the meaning of from and through and to and what what the significance of words like that really are. Wisdom and knowledge are products of a long relationship. When people have been in a relationship for a long time, even a bad relationship, as a result, they have a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge that they've earned, that they've come to realize. They know each other really well. That's true in our relationship with God. Over time, we come to know him. Now, In the relationship with God, God already knows us. We're already fully known. We're already fully loved. But we, over time, are coming to enter into those things, to share in those things. We're still learning what God has always known. And that's part of the purpose of that relationship. If you ask yourself, what is it that I'm meant to be doing as a believer? What is the Christian life supposed to consist of? Its deepest roots. It's this kind of knowledge, a growing realization of what it means to be from Him and through Him and to Him. What does it mean to be from God? What does it mean to be through God, to be to God? This is what your relationship with God through Christ is teaching. And you will never be able to put those lessons into words you will never be able to express in words the substance of that knowledge. Except for these words, Paul's words, the final words of our text. To him be glory forever. Amen. To him be glory forever. Amen. In those words, as brief as that statement is, it contains all the wisdom, all the knowledge that is being imparted to us to be able to speak those words. And mean them is the whole gift and lesson of a relationship with God. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org